Hi, I'm Nicole Breeden. And I'm Kira Brekurek. And you're listening to ProPrac, a podcast where we explore the professional practice of artists and hear their stories. Today's episode, we're speaking with Sarah Workmeister. Sarah Workmeister is a freelance writer, editor, researcher, broadcaster, and curator based in Melbourne. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Um, So let's start off by asking you, how did you get to where you are today? That's a really big question because I could start from birth, but... um... (laughs) You're welcome to. (laughs) Well, my mum had a... (laughs) Um, My my parents are both artistic, Mm -hmm. so my mum's like a traditional sculptor Mm. and my dad was a carpenter and a folk painter. Great. Um, And they were... I was known as the weird kid at school because my parents are also Austrian. Yeah. And I used to have liverwurst and gherkin sandwiches. So Amazing. It was like I was the weird kid at school. Yeah. And like kind of fell into like hiding in art and reading and books and everything to do to escape mm-hmm. being yeah. the weird kid. <laughs> um, and, yeah, but my mum never took us to the galleries, which is a, I realised that when I f- went to uni at, uh, University of Melbourne, mm-hmm. like the teacher had asked our first experience with an art gallery and I'm like, I don't remember mum taking me yeah. to mm. an art gallery but there was always art in my life and we had like all the classic mm-hmm. artists, those, you know, those old school like encyclopedia artist mm-hmm. books. Yeah, so pouring over those and being like, oh, my God, this is really sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> I can be an artist. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I was a math whiz when I was a teenager and I got a scholarship for math at this private school in Brisbane and I stayed there till grade 10 and then I got hit by a car and lost my memory. Um, And then I ended up going to a public school after that and I was better at English for some reason, although I... Apparently, always read. Um, but yeah, that's why I can't remember going to an art gallery either. Uh, really, I mean, yep. maybe Mum did take me, but mm. I don't remember. Did yeah, you lose right. your memory for like all of it, or was it just for a particular period of time? Well, I was in um, hospital for like a couple of months, and like that had to do memory exercises. Mm. Um, and I remember cheating so I could get the fuck out of hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the car hitting me. I don't remember anything, like, traumatic or anything. Wow. It's pretty crazy. But, yeah, I cheated. cheated. The way I cheated was, like, you had this piece of paper um, and you had to draw a really elaborate shape and then on the next page you had to draw the same elaborate shape. Yep. So I just pressed really hard uh, with yeah. the pen. It's like yeah. as if no doubt. as if a kid is like not going to do that to get out of hospital. Maybe they figure that you're probably not going to try and cheat to get out of rehab. <laughs> yeah, but kid also wants to like, be that's true. It's true. Like, don't give me your clown. Don't send yeah. in your clowns. Yes. <laughs> um. Anyway, I got out of hospital, but um. Then mm-hmm. I went to this like other school, and ended up being really good at English, mm-hmm. and still took art. For some reason I fluked my grade 12 art yep. theory exam, which they never taught us theory at art at high school. And then they gave you an exam on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I got Classic. like an A plus. Yeah. It was like. Amazing. Yeah. What do you remember what the, like the assignment uh, was? It was something, it wasn't an assignment, it was an exam on colonial Australian art. Oh, wow. Like. Oh. 
It was really like col- colonial paintings. Mm. You just, I don't. Sorry, you can't hear the eye roll through. The podcast. <laughs> anyway, aced colonial painting. <laughs> I coincidentally went to the same high school as Natty Solo. We both had the same English teacher that we both hated. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like ten years apart, and. That kind of, I think we have this theory together that, mm. like, she kind of fueled our, like, want to write. Yeah. And be like, fuck you. Mm. We're fucking great writers mm. and we can fuck shit up. Mm. But it's oh also because we're from Queensland, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which... I had an English teacher that was um, not a very good English teacher and I really struggled with writing um, when I was younger. But then I wrote this essay and I think because I was really passionate about what I was finally writing about she didn't think that I had written it and accused me of this is in year 10 or 11 plagiarism it definitely fueled something in me about like I'm gonna prove you wrong that I can actually write an essay and I still like when I was writing my master's thesis like had her voice in the back of my head and I was like (laughs) oh Motivation. <laughs> Nobody's brought up rage as a resource yet, but oh, rage is a f- is the best resource, especially go. when you don't like push it on other people. Mm, like, yeah, push it to it. something productive. Yes. Like. Totally, as a motivator. <laughs> anyway, so you went to this school, had a terrible English teacher, yeah. lost your what? memory, lost my memory. What yep. happened next? And because the school was so bad as well, I, and I kind of lost interest in going to school because, like, I don't know, I. When I was 15, I started working at um, Radio 4 Triple Z, which is a community radio station in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun and like lots of friends, and you could still have dialogue and meaningful conversations with people mm-hmm. and do real work. Um, I mean, academic work is real work too, but you know, um, I felt like more practical, it was a more practical thing yeah. to do. Yeah, yep. Um, so I ended up like skipping out on school a lot. Um, going to lots of gigs. I used to put on gigs when I was a kid. Mm. Like I put on two festivals. One was called Zed Nation. Amazing. I can't remember what the other one was called. And I did zines as well. I spoke yes. at the um, Newcastle. I had a really good friend actually who um, curated the National Young Writers Festival one year yeah. or part of it and she put me on a zine panel when I was 15 and I met all these amazing people. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Like got a grant from Arts Queensland to go to Newcastle, like slept on the train on the way to Sydney, amazing. like my first trip. Yeah, the, all those opportunities were way more meaningful to me than going to school where mm. the education was actually not so good. Like it was, it was one of the lowest ranking schools in Queensland. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a really bad QC or I can't remember the name of it. It was like an OP. Oh, it is an OP. What? Is that your like score? Is that your inter-score? Yes. High school? The end of the grade score? Yeah, end of yeah. school sure. grade. Got a really bad grade um, and then I went to TAFE and did a Diploma of Visual Arts, mm. Arts, Craft and Community Arts. Mm. Did you know that you were kind of interested in going down that avenue while you were in your... Yeah. Yeah, final years of high school. Yeah. Mm. I mean, and they taught art theory as well, which was, like, actually beneficial. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah. Were your teachers good at TAFE? Oh, they were really good. Yeah. And they were very encouraging and, like, they were actually really smart, which, mm-hmm. you know, people have this perception of TAFE that it's, like, not for smart people. Mm-hmm. But, like, my teachers were sick. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's so good. And then I got really passionate about printmaking. 
Cool. Became a qualified bookbinder. (laughs) Amazing. Did a bunch of bookbinding workshops around like different festivals in Australia. Cool. Um, But printmaking was like, I was like really stoked about printmaking, which is a really weird thing to be stoked about because I don't really care about printmaking anymore. (laughs) I gave my press away to a guy who I actually saved enough money to buy a press for myself. Yeah. Which I could also use for bookbinding, but I sold it to a guy. Oh, no, I gave it to a guy. And he still has it and uses it all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. that's nice. I finished TAFE and then I went overseas and, like, visited my family in Austria and, like, went to the Venice Biennale and did a bunch of travel. And it was really eye-opening. I, like, <laughs> I learned how to make cheese in, like, the countryside <laughs> in England. <laughs> Sounds pretty great. I've got so many stories about that, but <laughs> I will leave them for another <laughs> weird podcast. Yeah, but um, it was really, I think, like doing different things in between going, being from TAFE, going from TAFE to uni, mm. like it opened my eyes a little bit more to like the different possibilities within life itself and yeah. using my creative creativity in different ways. Mm. How so, old were you at this stage? Oh, like 20. Yeah. yeah. And how 20, long 21? were you at TAFE for? Oh, like two or three years. Yeah. And then you went on to university. Yeah. What I think I started um, university when I was 22 mm-hmm. and I did a Bachelor of Fine Art at Griffith University. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I actually made art for a little while and I majored in sculpture and intermedia. I don't really remember that time that well either but um, and graduated and then didn't, was kind of disillusioned with art yep. <laughs> and started doing honours mm-hmm. but then didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't finish the honours degree um, and I was teaching at this, um, I was tutoring at a section of the university called Bovakaya, mm-hmm. which is like this amazing section of Griffith University mm. um, for Indigenous students to like actually like concentrate on their own practice. Yeah. And a lot of amazing artists have come out of there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a real privilege, privilege to work in a space like that as well, like especially early on yeah, and be able to share with people. I mean, I learned so much more than they would have learned from me. (laughs) Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, I was like lost and I was working at a bookshop. (laughs) (laughs) And at radio, I was doing a radio show still. I I did radio for like 15 years. Yeah, wow. It's a really long time. What was your show? Um, I started on the youth show Mm -hmm. and then I... Did a breakfast for a while. Yep. On a Saturday because no one, like, I was still under 18 then and I was like, yeah. I had to sleep at a friend's house, like, close to yeah. the station so that, like, you could get there on time. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I did the best show ever, which. <laughs> that was the name of it. I show? actually, I'll just let you know there's like another show called The Best Show Ever and my best show ever started before that best show ever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so. We've got a copyright issue here. Yep. Yeah. Like an, uh, <clears throat> Sarah yep. knows what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, f- I fucking got you, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then I ended up doing, I got a grant to do a, to the art show. Mm. Um, How did you, because you got that grant with the um, zine as well. How did you know about grants existing or how to apply to them? Did someone tell you or were you just kind of like scouting mm. them out? That first one I did, my friend had actually told me about it. Yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. And then I guess when I went to uni I was like constantly looking at grants. 
yeah. that I could apply for. Yeah. I was running an artist-run initiative with two friends in Brisbane called The Wandering Room mm-hmm. and we, when Campbell Newman got into power in Brisbane, I, in my head I was like, I am not applying for government funding. Yeah, right. Through Campbell Newman. Mm-hmm. I mean, A, he probably wouldn't give it to mm-hmm. us. <laughs> like the government probably wouldn't. I mean, yeah. Arts Queensland was good at the time and I felt sorry for them as well, but, like, they had limited funds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also we could do our things without money. Like, we we were in, went around to different spaces around Brisbane and just asked people for, pro, like, for in-kind spaces. Mm. So, like, there was one time that Southbank Corporation gave us a space in Southbank to try and enliven the area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that kind of, like, people artist. People don't want to go swimming in the swimming pool? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Not in winter, right? <laughs> I would. Tourist. Yeah, you tourists. You, t- you touros. <laughs> Just going up for APT. Oh, my God. Tourist. I've had so many, like, touros, like, come with me go, going, like, let's go skinny dipping at South Bank. Like, no. <laughs> and getting caught and, like, I'm like yeah. yeah, you just got, like, the CCTV everywhere caught. here. <laughs> it's like jumping in the fountain at NGV. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have done that. P.S. <laughs> Too cold. What yeah, it was thinking? winter. It was horrible. Oh, in the cold. I got, I got, I got enough money. You got the shingles. You're going to get a job though. at NGV now. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Anyway, I just had this ethos that like we could do it without. We don't. We do, like artists can be artists, and we we have our own. Like this is why I love Brisbane because the community is so strong and we all support each other. Mm. And like, there's a level of critique up there that I find really refreshing. Yeah. And it's not like. It's not critique that's put on. It's like honest feedback to like between artists and like mm. whoever's working in the arts. I my first, I think it was two thousand and nine. I had a show that was through Box Copy, but it was at Metro Arts. Yeah, and going up um, and experiencing the Brisbane art scene, uh, it was so amazing. And continue like I have a total love for Brisbane art scene and what people do and. The resources that people make for each other as well is mm. um, a sense of community that, I mean, this is me looking from the outside as well, but a sense of community that isn't as strong here in Melbourne or it's a bit more disjointed or something. But I, th- I just was like reading people's essays for each other, the different types of ARIs that were set up. Yeah, and they're all very different. Yeah. They don't do the same thing. No, yeah, really catering for different practices and different audiences. and But they'd all support each other. Yeah, yeah. and it's really, it's really special. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder as well what it must look like internationally as well because I think that it's a really interesting city to look at how the arts operate there. Um, yeah, I think it, like the advantage of Brisbane is that it is smaller mm. and it's not as spread out. Like everything is kind of concentrated in one area. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that that could be an advantage or a disadvantage. Yeah. But I mean, that's a huge thing. I mean, in Melbourne where it's just like it's become this weird disjointed, like weird ring yeah. of spaces that there's nothing really in the middle. I mean, there's blindsight. Woo. Yeah, there's yeah. really Kings. hardly anything yeah. in the middle anymore. Yeah, mm. Where, whereas everything used to be so concentrated in the city, mm. it's really all Even spread artist out. studios have moved out yeah. mm. further out into the suburbs. Mm. But, yeah, I think that's, like, the, the good thing about Brisbane is that, it, like, the community, it's really, yeah. like, supportive. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so setting, like having set up this space and running it and deciding to not apply for government funding is pretty bold and pretty like it's a lot of agency um, to kind of have and decide what to do and that's very impactful I think as well for the audience to be able to see people making spaces and making resources for people without funding. Yeah. Um, what was what was your kind of interaction with the artists and were you putting your own work into these spaces as well or were you just kind of more administrating and facilitating I ran at the stage? With, I ran it with two other people um, called uh, David Creed and Angela Recito. And so often we'd do projects together. I never worked as an individual artist in any of the shows, I don't think, but we yeah. um, put work in the shows as The Wandering Room. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, one time we got commissioned by... Sam Simmons, that Triple J comedian, mm. to make a life-size Sandra Bullock doll out of, like, knitted, knitted Sandra Bullock doll. Oh, wow. Which was, like, <laughs> probably like, the weirdest thing like, I've ever done. It's like, what are you going to do with her? Oh, and David um, Spooner helped us with that as well. Mm. Yeah, he used it on his comedy tour. Yeah, wow. right. And did what to it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> mm. Best not ask questions yeah, I'm on like, that one. I don't, I don't even want to know. <laughs> um. Oh, boy. Yeah. I can't remember what you asked. Oh, sorry. I, you totally answered it. I just was asking if you were putting work into the space. Um, oh, yeah. Or just working as mainly a facilitator for others. Yeah, I mean, like we, we us three work together as a team to really put, to make it work. Mm. Yeah, it is a shame that we ended up like not being able to pay ourselves or artist fees. Yeah. Well, that's but I so, think like. So often the case. Yeah, I, I really don't agree with that anymore. I don't think I would ever do that again. Yeah. Mm. But at the time it was like dire, you know, Queensland yeah. was pretty dire. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that I ended up um, leaving the Wandering Room and it's still going. They both moved to Melbourne and they now run a space on Victoria Road in Brunswick. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, and it, they've had a few shows and it's like really nice to go there and like see that they're still doing amazing things and with the local community as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like bringing that vibe down here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a good community here as well, but it's. I think it's very fragmented. It's communities, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I also um, had a great opportunity to start writing about art when I was pretty young. Yeah, right. Like through the street press in Brisbane. Oh, cool. And then... What was that called? Rave. Rave. We had beat. Yeah. You still have beat. Yeah. yeah. I, that's where I did my um, high school work. Internship. Work. Yeah. With the writing in the street press mm-hmm. and writing about art, were you reviewing exhibitions? Were you talking about, like, what were you talking about in those? It was mostly music and art. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, reviews. Yeah. Amazing. How did you, did you, were you reading any reviews or anything to like oh, form read, language about it and like know how to write about it or what were you doing to kind of feel like you can put your voice out there? Obviously you'd been doing radio but yeah, I had anything else? I um, had been reading a lot of zines and like Maximum Rock and Roll and all those kind of like really yeah. weird <laughs> male-centric mm. magazines that mm-hmm. were around in the 90s. Yeah. That half of them are probably still around. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's where I got the language for it from there and like reading art magazines yeah Mm -hmm. and then I ended up being I got offered an opportunity to be the assistant editor at 4000 oh cool where I started like writing more about art in like Mm. for the public and for like 
people who wouldn't usually yeah, yeah even I'm just like care about explain it. this yeah. for people who are listening who might be a bit younger and not know what the thousands were it was happening in the 2000s i guess um and there was like yeah 4000 in queensland 3000 in victoria Northern. um 2000 in sydney that's from the postcodes yeah Exactly, and um, it was a bit of a, like, what's on um, in terms of, like, music, art. Um, I think it was Penny Modra who wrote for Victoria One. Shout out Penny. She put my shows in there. All the time, and you'd, like, email her and she would always write them up um, and then sometimes you'd get someone come to your show and do a review as well. Yeah. It was great. I love Penny Modra. She, like, she has taught me so much about writing and, like, editing as well Mm. Mm -hmm. and learning how to not be solipsistic and not, like, talk shit. Um, It's, like, she taught me how to write for an audience that isn't academic because I have been writing academically for uni Mm -hmm. Mm. and I'd also been doing street press but it was also a completely different way of thinking about audiences. Yeah. Yeah. Which now I'm like, and now I work in communications, so. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thousands, that was just strictly online, wasn't it, too? Yeah. yeah. Which was, I feel like it was one of the very early kind of online-only yeah. sort of magazine sort of mm, style. Like subcultural magazine. Yeah. 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 Can I just say um, Penny Modra was actually an amazing person to have in my life and she taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And she has this motto that she still uses that's um, stay nervous. Mm. That's cool. Which I still think about that mm. all the time. I'm like, yeah, you got to stay nervous because you can't be too complacent. Yeah, too, too complacent or too like sure of yourself mm-hmm. because there's so much in the world that you don't know. Yeah, and mm. you got to be open to people and new ideas and dialogues with community. Mm. I like yeah. that. That's great. There's also that thing of like nerves and excitement are kind of the same feeling. It's just how you put. Your... Oh, that's my one. Yeah, yeah. But like being being anxious and excited is the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's like I try, I try and tell myself. That. But you, you do get <laughs> often the same physiological yeah. like feelings, and I guess that's like if you're staying excited about things too, you're gonna stay inquisitive and like um, engaged. Yeah. Rather, than, yeah, again, being bored or complacent about whatever you're doing. So. Mm. That's pretty good advice. Anyway, Penny Modra. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so from the thousands, how did you end up here from there? Uh, and then I started writing art catalogues for people mm. and in Brisbane for, like, mm-hmm. different different artists. And um, I did an internship at Goma. I, I, was, I started writing for the art guide. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2014... Campbell Newman, no, 2013, Campbell Newman got in power in Brisbane. And I was like, I can't fucking do this. <laughs> I literally, I'm so tired. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I have to go get a master's degree so I can get a job in an institution, which mm. I don't even know if I want to work in an institution, but it's good to have a piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they love it. They love it. They, like, wheel cream themselves. Um. Yeah, so I moved to Melbourne to do my Masters of Art Curatorship, which mm-hmm. I'm still doing. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just finishing my thesis, I mean, doing my thesis now um, at the University of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I've had, yeah, that's been a tough, it's it's tough to like work and ha- I have a medical problem mm-hmm. um, and then do the thesis and then have to work to be able to pay for your medical bills. And mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. 
So it's been a bit tough, but it's mm. I'm gonna when I finish it, I'm gonna like have the biggest party. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Invitations, please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when did you when did you begin your masters? Twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so in Melbourne I I've worked for so many different organisations in comms roles. Mm-hmm. And then when I first got here, I was going to every exhibition to try and learn the scene. Mm-hmm. And now I've kind of stopped because it's like really insane to try and go to everything in Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. What was your first impressions of the Melbourne art community going to things? Um, this is going to be a bit harsh. That's okay. <laughs> um, well, the week that I moved here, someone told me that a, a curator from Documenta had come to Melbourne and then to Brisbane and, and this curator had said to someone, people in Melbourne make art like there's nothing wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. As someone, he said that to someone in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And then that just stuck with me for a very long time. But there are some amazing artists here and I know that's not true of all artists. It just might have been the artist that that person yeah. like had an impression of. And also that curator could have been an idiot anyway. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I definitely I've, can. I've heard that. I've heard, I've heard very, you know, similar, you know, opinions about the Melbourne art scene, especially, yeah. you know, especially um, I think it has changed a lot in the last couple of years. But mm. I think, you know, right when we were sort of like hitting, you know, out, out, out of uni, it was like, yeah. I mean, there are some amazing people doing amazing things here as well. Mm. Yeah. Not to discount Melbourne as like a ragtag, like mm-hmm. clicky place. Like there's some really great, great stuff happening here. Yeah. There, and I think it's, it's interesting as well because language is starting to shift and change and mm. conversations are starting to shift and change. Um, there was a conversation recently at West Bay's um, where Pippolis was talking um well, mentioned this thing about how probably around in the early, like 2007 to 2010 kind of time, a lot of women were making work about feminism. A lot of people curating shows about feminism, but no one was allowed to use the word feminism because it was not a word that people used. It was used. a totally used. dirty word. I was told by a senior figure at VCA, don't ever let yourself be called a feminist art artist because that's all anyone will ever think of you as and your career will be over. Also which, define yourself how you want to define yourself. I know, I and feel. which is also something that would definitely not be said today to a student. Yeah. Um, but I think we weren't having conversations that we are now. Um, I think our language has evolved to be able to talk about things mm. and I think that is then reflected in how people present work and who is allowed to present work mm. um, and I'm hopeful that the Melbourne art scene will keep growing but I definitely see how that curator would have come to Melbourne and seen that, had that opinion because... Mm-hmm. I think at that time as well there was a certain aesthetic that was happening and a certain few voices that were Plank given. against the wall. Yeah, Stereoph- sock on a stick box, yeah. is what we refer to it as. Yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really sterile and, you know, sure it can have its place at times but when that's the only thing that's being shown and the only thing that's being supported and the only people that are given... Um, Opportunities. Yeah, that, that's a pl- really... Yeah, a platform. That's really harmful for not only other artists but for a lot of other areas of the world because it's also... Indulgent. Yeah. And it's 
it's shutting down conversations that need to be had. Mm. Well, it's like doesn't a community needs to see itself in mm. the artwork that it's going to see, you know, that's, that's when it becomes valuable. Yeah. Mm. Community just see, need to see themselves in anything that's visible to the public. Yeah, well, that's culture, right? Yeah. Like, mm. I think st- institutions still have a lot, long way to go. Absolutely. But, um, I mean, at least the conversation's being had. The reason that I love Brisbane so much is that, that it's, like, so honest. Mm. Mm. I sound like I'm fucking creaming over Brisbane, but, like, also I just I really appreciate the honesty. I think... There's we also, love Brisbane. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's um, more conversations being had uh, um, and um, definitely more advanced in different conversations. And maybe, I don't know, because I don't know what your feeling is about APT, but I think from I my think experience... That like that the uh, best thing that, that like Brisbane could have ever had. Yeah, because I feel like that that informs a lot of conversations and probably what is spoken about at university level too Mm. um about engaging as an artist um that we are within an asia pacific area um Mm. and that our conversations are not in silos yeah yeah so um i don't know if that is one of the reasons that i feel like um brisbane's way ahead and more advanced in conversations i mean but, yeah, the APT, like one of my actual first memories about the APT, the, about like going to an art gallery is the APT and seeing that Yoyoi Kasama. Oh, my God, me too. Yeah, the balls, the yeah. narcissist balls. Mm. Narcissist balls. <laughs> but, um, the work has a name. <laughs> Garden of Narcissus. I can't remember. But um, seeing that work and being like, wow. Oh, my God, it blew me away. And yeah. I didn't know of her work. I mean, I was a teenager and I was like became obsessed yeah it was so mind-blowingly just like made me so excited yeah Um, and then there was this like really existential work by Anish Kapoor which I'm not sure if it was part of an APT but it was like a void it's like this blue dark blue velvet velvety half spherical sculpture Mm. that's it's like comes out from the wall Mm -hmm. and I was like (laughs) <laughs> like perfect for a teenager, like experience, <laughs> experiencing <Whoa>. like <laughs> existential dread. Yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, yeah. It's such an important exhibition. I think. Yeah, I, every time it's on, I definitely make the trip up. It's such a beautiful exhibition, just um, in terms of like not just the artwork, but everything that happens around it. Yeah, like the whole all the whole city is activated. Yeah, mm, I think. So you've touched on a few things that have um, been challenges mm. for you in your um, career so far. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about, you know, challenges or things that you've had to overcome to continue in your career? Um, looking into that Anish Kapoor work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the biggest challenge for me was, like, I didn't come from a very wealthy background. Um, I mean, I do realise that I'm white as well, so that's, like, obviously a huge privilege. Um, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have come from a background that had... We didn't have heaps of money. Um, and it's, like, hard to start a practice. I think it's hard for any artist to, to work, like, and compete in a weird, weird... Mm-hmm. I don't even know what visual art is anymore, like, why... 
is it competitive? Yep. Like, do you just like make work? What are we competing for? Yeah, I know exactly. Like, what are no you competing money. for? Like, <laughs> oh my god, it's so dire. Anyway, but um, yeah, to be able to even to be able to afford materials and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I got diagnosed with this medical issue, and that's been a huge strain. Mm-hmm. Um on being able to practice and, like, concentrate on writing amazing essays. It just takes me a lot longer to do things now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm really passionate about something, I think I will write about it mm-hmm. pretty easily. Yeah. Um, I saw a show actually at um, the Queensland, no, what is it called? Griffith University Art Gallery, um, Archie Moore's exhibition. And I wrote about, I wrote like 3,000 words in like one hour. Mm, amazing. <laughs> but then, you know, it's hard to find something that sparks so much lucidity within my own head. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, I think. And the university, it's like costs a lot of money to go to university. Yeah. yeah. And having to work during that time is pretty difficult. Totally. Um I don't think I really care about writer's block. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to ask you that. Do you have any, do you have to overcome any challenges in your writing style or? I do, because I, I write so broadly mm. for different audiences. So I'll write for, like I'm doing my thesis at the moment, I'll write academically and then I'll write for an art magazine mm. and that'll be, a di- like it'll still be a little bit academic but it has to be palatable. Yeah. And then I'll do copywriting for like my communications jobs and then like I actually missed writing speeches. Yeah. <laughs> so writing speeches is one of my favourite things. I'm like, I'm going to be the next Don Watson. <laughs> <laughs> Never will be. <laughs> There's no Paul Keating for me that, to be the Don Watson too. Um, not yet. Not yet. Wait till uh, Nicole Breeden 20, oh, 2020. Gosh, no. Public <laughs> speaking, No. <laughs> Well, when you got one of Sarah's speeches. Yeah, that's, maybe that's what you need. <laughs> need a ghostwriter. No. I, the last time I did speech writing was for the mayor of Shepparton and the mayor's cha- changed halfway in between. But I actually love speech writing. It's like yeah, right. you can talk like an, you can write like an actual human mm-hmm. and like put like little intonations in there. I mean, they won't follow it all the time. Yeah. They'll put their own spin on it, but it's like mm-hmm. just a fun thing to do. Yeah. And like to inc- try, and try and imagine the world from... Someone who doesn't even know about art. Yeah. To try and think what they would be able to say about yeah, different artworks within a show mm-hmm. or, like, what their perception of a curatorial premise is or, yeah, it's like... Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's really fun mm-hmm. to think, like, through that. What does a successful practice mean to you? I think as long as it, like, um, is in dialogue with the people that are around you whatever you happen to be doing, and it's considering all the different possibilities. I mean, not every single possibility, but, like, the different ways in which community can interact with it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important part for me. Yeah. Um, to, for people to be able to, like, relate to something and for it to make them either think more about a certain topic or think outside of the topic and think about... Mm themselves within that a space or themselves within an artwork. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what else to say. Mm. No, that's perfect. 
I mean, everyone has their own answers, but I, I feel like that's an incredible thing to, you know, be in communication. Yeah, I mean, others. I don't mm. think I don't think much else matters to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. as long as like there's still conversation happening. Yeah. So moving along, what does your practice look like? Give us a day in the life, or a week in the life, or a month in the life. Um, my practice is really different depending on what um, job I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so if I'm working full time, then it leaves like I'll write one article a month or curate one show every two years, which is like the, is literally the last time I curated a show was two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I get, I get, I do so many different projects. It depends what, what's interesting to me at the time. So totally. I still feel like one article a month is like a very, like that's a lot of output still. Yeah, but it also depends on what articles they are. So, yeah. I mean, that one on Archie Moore was like 2,000 words mm-hmm. and then I'll do another one that's like 300 words or I'll do, you know, they're not they're not all huge sure. articles. Um, so what do I do usually? <laughs> do you have any routines, daily routines? I don't get up early. Mm. Usually, um, I really like in winter. I I have a different um working pattern in winter and summer because mm. I I'm so I'm not used to winter. Yeah. Um, and in winter True. it's like sitting with my computer and books and drinking wine and eating chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I it's like not healthy. <laughs> um, but it actually helps me think. Yeah. And then I stay up late at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in summer I. I don't need any alcohol to survive. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, in summer I just, um, I don't know what actually helps me in it. I don't really have, I'm not really a routine person. Yeah. Mm. It just depends on what I'm doing. So if I'm, I'd, I've worked a lot overseas as well mm-hmm. and from Australia doing Skype calls with overseas people. So mm-hmm. sometimes they would be at like, those Skype calls would be at like one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that taught me to be like a bit. Oh, what's flexible. the word? Yeah, flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with how I work. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's if I've got something amazing going on, then I'll just do it. You know. Yeah. Um, instead of like, I mean, the biggest the biggest learning thing for me at the moment is the thesis. Like writing something that big and that bit, like with that much research and mm-hmm. planning for that. That's like actually helped me a lot mm. with writing like long form, long, long form. Yeah. So do you break up, do you break up your kind of like your study and your kind of like work commitments like every day or do you sort of like do it by the week, like break up in different days or like how do you kind of structure that? I use a calendar. Yeah. That I, <laughs> I'll, I'll schedule a whole day for study and schedule a whole day for freelance work, schedule yeah. a whole day for like one of my jobs. Mm schedule a whole day for another job but then you know there's always things that come up because I freelance a lot yeah there's always things that come up on days that you don't necessarily work at one job and you do do it and you swap it around and just make it work Mm -hmm. do you schedule in weekends or like a day off as well well since I'm doing my thesis I'm doing I'm I've been putting study in my calendar all weekend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but I do allow myself a break to go to the markets or yeah you know get out of the house yeah I have a thing where I have to I have to leave the house every day yeah that's one thing that I have to do otherwise you just go completely mm-hmm. insane yeah mm-hmm. and like walk around the neighborhood and hear the birds 
Yeah. And like get some sunshine. Say hello to the neighbors, you know. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah, and one of my favorite things to do actually to I kind of do do it to, to, to distract myself, but um, <laughs> like I cook heaps of food mm-hmm. and I love cooking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my favorite thing is sharing food with people as well. Yeah. Um, even if it's just like I'll cook a, I'll bake a cookie mm-hmm. and like swap it with the the lady down, like this old lady down the road. She'll like make these Syrian sweets and I'll be mm-hmm. like swap, you know, even mm-hmm. like lemons. I have a nice veggie patch. Yeah. Actually, when I got sick, the veggie patch was the only thing that really helped me calm myself. Mm-hmm. Mm. And like being in nature and being able to touch dirt and not be stuck in a room, yeah. like pouring over books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I love doing still, but like, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's healthy to like only do one thing. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> so easy to become detached. I think from, you know. IRL, yeah. When you kind of go to that place, like all the time, mm. and are in it for a really long time, and yeah. You and you don't take that walk outside or whatever it is that you need to kind of be grounded and be in the real world, mm. yeah. And be part of a community, yeah, yeah. And like, even working different jobs is a different is a thing that I like doing because I don't like being. Mm. I mean, I'm just t- about to take on another another full time role, yeah, um, which will be amazing. But it's for a really great organisation that, like, thinks about things in a var- variety of different ways and, can like, I can think about a million different things with it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, do you have any, like, do you have any, like, fitness or health practices that you kind of do or it's, like, your walk is your thing or...? Yeah, I, try, I mean, I try to ride my bike when I, when I can. Mm-hmm. Which I really miss about Brisbane, even though Brisbane is the most hilly fucking place in the world. Um, I feel like people li- in Melbourne literally. don't know how good they've got it. Yeah, it's so easy to ride here. Like, who wants to ride a bike in Sydney? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brisbane, I lived in Spring Hill. Oh, gosh. That hill. It's got hill in the name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get hill, Spring Hill. It's not like Princess Hill. <laughs> no. <laughs> Princess Hill is not, not a hill. <laughs> is Princess Hill. Where's the hill? Oh, maybe it's next to the hospital. Yeah, I suppose that, like, if you're actually in the cemetery sometimes, if you look out, you know. <sighs> it's a gradual incline. Yeah, it's not chill. A hill. Yeah. Yeah, but I try to ride my bike to work when I can. Like, if I'm working in the city, then I'll ride my bike to work or North Melbourne or yeah. wherever, like Carlton. If mm, I'm yeah. going to uni and it's not raining. Yeah. Um, And I'll try, if I don't ride my bike, then I'll go for a walk. Yeah. And then I do go to acupuncture, like, either once a week, twice a week. It mm. depends on how much I can afford it. Whatever mm-hmm. time, yeah. I mean, not once a week, once a t- twice a week. I've never gone twice a week. <laughs> Who can do that? Um, but yeah, I go. I go to acupuncture, and I love my acupuncturist. Mm. And I do. I have been taking Chinese herbal medicine. I got raised on homeopathic medicine, mm. but Mum still like got us all the shots. So don't worry, yeah. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Yeah. <laughs> what have been some of the more influential resources that have um, assisted you throughout your career? Um, one of the resources that I really um, appreciate is the Indigenous Cultural Protocols and the Arts document that people can find on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that when I was like, I mean, I did, um, at Griffith, we had to work with protocols and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really good to that have, having something as a resource and like readings, but there is something mm-hmm. available online that people can go to, which you can find at the Australia Council of Arts. Mm, um, mm-hmm. website. 
great. Um, that you can download and not be such a settler colonist, <laughs> <laughs> um, ex- excluding any Indigenous people that might be listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, resources, I think, yeah, just the people in my life and yeah. people that I've worked with, my bosses who have all believed in me, um, that's not something that everyone can access. Mm. Do you have any suggestions on how people can um, kind of work those uh, relationships into like, you know, kind of more casual mentorship or? I think um, a good idea, a good thing to do is go out to art openings and like actually going out to meet people and like mm-hmm. making people aware of your presence yeah. and not being like overly overbearing or anything like, yeah. hey, I'm here. Like, <laughs> Mentor me. me. <laughs> <laughs> but like. Also just, like, being friendly and open with mm-hmm. people, you know, mm-hmm. like, and having them around and then even approaching people to ask them if you can work with them. Like, mm. yeah, if you're aware of what they do then and there's a similar idea there, then, then say, hey, let's do a podcast together or let's um, bake a fucking cake. I don't know. You know, yeah. even if it's, like, collaborating on, like, let's make a show together or mm-hmm. let's write an article together or we could, we should, like... I'm, like, editing a publication, do you want to be part of it? Mm-hmm. Or, like, you just, you got to make things happen for yourself before. Mm-hmm. As I mean, you've got to make things happen for yourself as well as it's got, there's got to be, be an exchange. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it can't just, I feel like mentor is, like, not even the right word. It's more of a collaboration. Yeah. 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 That's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think even, even like a, like a true you know, mentor relationship is it's still um, collaborative mm. because the person mentoring you is sort of like learning through teaching you yeah. in a way. It's mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mentors get just as much out of like yeah. the relationship than the mentees. Is that yeah. what they're called? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, if you could travel back in time and speak to... Um, younger Sarah, maybe when she was at TAFE or um, on the radio, is there any advice that you would give yourself? Don't like Anish Kapoor. <laughs> <laughs> but what about that void? <laughs> that massive yeah, Too Metallica. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I would probably... Say don't wallow in sadness. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was always productive, I guess. Mm. Um, but, yeah, maybe just believe in yourself and, like, value the friendships that you have, which I've always kind of done, but, like, I don't know. I don't think I've changed. Fuck. <laughs> I haven't, like, progressed anywhere in my life. Yeah. I think my biggest advice is, like, just do as much as you can and, like, do the things that you love but, like, also keep in mind your privilege and, like, do things with people, like, do things with your, with other people in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm. Sarah, that's such a nice place to end it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. Get out if you want to live. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you want to end it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, um, thank you very much for having me. We're so happy to have had you, so thank you for sharing. This episode is recorded on the sovereign land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. 
Thanks for listening to ProPrac. You can listen to other episodes and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date with what we're up to on Instagram at ProPrac Podcast or send us an email at ProPracPod at gmail.com.